During the past couple of episodes, I've tried to understand more about Georgina's movements during the days and weeks that led to her disappearance. And we've mainly focused on the Worthing area so far. But what's emerged is Georgina's strong links to Brighton and the people she knew there. I'm travelling to Brighton today to meet Andrea and to try and work out whether the key to solving this case lies in Worthing or a short train ride away just along the coast in Brighton. On the 7th of March 2018, Georgina Garcella left her home in Worthing and vanished without trace. Every single case I've ever had where I've had success historically is there's been a parent or someone who hasn't allowed the police to forget it, hasn't allowed the public to forget it. We stop at absolutely nothing. We're not scared. We are not scared. A mother's journey to uncover the truth I want answers. I want to find out what happened, and I won't stop until I do. Murdered, missing, unsolved. This search for Georgina. Episode 3, The Brighton Connection. We're here in Brighton, and there's a Budgeon's 24-hour shop very close to the station, right beside it. And we know that in the day before she went missing, she was in Brighton. Yeah. What do you know of her movements? Um, I just know that she got a lift to Brighton, and um, she was staying with a friend at the Royal Albion Hotel, down, straight down. But she came up here to buy some... She came up here. Um, the friend who she was staying with worked across in one of these kebab places. So I'm not ex- exactly sure of the movements, but I think she came up here to see him come in here to buy something and then was talking to uh, a guy in here about accommodation in Brighton. And that evening, the night before she disappeared, she had spent some of the evening with an ex-boyfriend, yeah. spent some time in the hotel. Then she went to the hotel afterwards. I think when he finished work, they were at the hotel. And then the next morning she came home. Um, so Budgeons, obviously she came in here to buy something. She was thinking about moving to Brighton at the time, so she'd been sort of chatting to the, the cashier. He was a cashier, so she'd been chatting about accommodation. He said he knew somebody, gave her a number of somebody who, who lets rooms and flats. What is really, I suppose, difficult about this case is that a lot of the men and bad choices she's made, you know, there's been violent men, there's been drug dealers, there's been a range of people who kind of, she has curious relationships with. It's messy, so it's very difficult to unpick. But for all of that, my gut instinct, which carries no more weight than that, uh, suggests to me that none, absolute none of that background is relevant to the investigation. I think what's much more likely is that something random, wrong place, wrong time. And because of the life she led, she was more likely to be in the wrong place and the wrong time than most people. How do you feel here retreading the steps that Georgina took in the days before she went missing? Well, thinking about it, obviously I feel sad because this is, I know she was here. Um, I just sort of try and picture her coming in here, standing here and yeah. So she was in Budgeons, buying some time, connecting with a guy in there, 62 messages. She was going to see... The next messages were the, the, the following night. The following, the following night. night. They were on the following night because they were the last messages on the phone, like the last sort of bit of data on the phone yeah. that there wasn't anybody else on there. Before the phone gave up the ghost, basically, yeah. Yeah. in the morning. So Monday night, yeah. she was in Budgeons. Budgeons. And then at the Albion Hotel, later at the Albion Hotel, she was And then her next movements after that? She came back to to me on the morning. I 
she came back to the station, called me, asked if I could pick her up from the station. It's Tuesday morning. Tuesday yeah. morning. Um, she wasn't there, and then she'd already walked. So, and that was the last time I'd seen her or spoken to her until Wednesday morning. When I got home, she was asleep. So she slept in that night. I didn't see how she was in bed until Wednesday morning at half past six when I got up and she was already up. So Brighton, Monday, Monday night, Tuesday, Tuesday morning, morning Worthing, Worthing, all day Worthing in your house asleep. Sleep. Wednesday morning, mobile phone, mm. trying to get it fixed, leaving your house around 9, 15, 9.30. Yeah. Last time she's seen alive. Yeah. You saw her when she got up on the Wednesday, Wednesday. morning. Mm. How was she? Well, she'd been up all night, um, but she was sort of... She got things... She was a bit agitated. Uh, Bring us, there was nothing yeah. which alarmed me to think, oh, Georgina's depressed and she's going to go off and do something. So so her ex-boyfriend, were they, you know, occasionally kind of catch-up lovers, catch-up boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, she casual took, you know, lovers after that? He you know. was quite one of those that helps everybody, you know, like yeah. he was, he'd help loads of girls, like, because when she was with him, she, it was something he'd do and it would annoy her, you know, so um, I think he, I suppose on the Monday, she wanted to come and stay in Brighton. We'll, we'll get a quieter place to talk about this, but effectively she... Brighton was hopefully a potential a place where she was going to go and kind yeah. of kickstart to get away from Worthing I think for the boyfriend and that and she, I think she thought she might have more opportunities here um, get more help getting accommodation and getting help out of her situation I think there's no doubt there's a range of violent men she's hung around with over the last 10 yeah. years you know yeah. take your pick she has had boyfriends where I thought oh yeah can't you find somebody nicer than him um you know whatever are you doing with him I think she was attracted to that type I don't know why she has had a couple of nice boyfriends which I thought were really nice but it didn't last very long because I didn't think they were probably exciting enough for her um do you think any of the police contacted any of the ex-boyfriends? They said they did. We gave them the, the list um, and they said they'd contacted who they needed to, but we never got any sort of information further than that about what it was or what they said or it would be nobody's seen her or, oh, yeah, yeah, we've, we've spoken to him, he knows nothing. And it, that was it. Do you think that the answers to what happened to him lie in Brighton or Worthing? I mean, Brighton's bigger, much bigger, isn't it? And... I don't know, I suppose when you think about it, but it's not what... I don't have a feeling like that. But now you say it, I suppose it would be more feasible to think, yeah, it would have... something could have happened in Brighton because of the... As Andrea trails off here, from what she's told us so far, it's pretty clear that Georgina was hoping to move to Brighton and start afresh. She had an ex-boyfriend and a circle of contacts here already and had actually been to view a flat in the Portslade area of the city just before she went missing. It sounds as though Georgina certainly had plans. She wanted to escape her life in Worthing to a certain degree, even though Brighton is only half an hour train journey away from her home. Andrea touched upon Georgina's mental state at the time, and this is an area I now want to explore in a little more depth. We find a coffee shop nearby, and I ask her how Georgina was in the lead-up to the day she disappeared, and if suicide had ever been a consideration coffee shop is a little loud with music playing in the background so you may want to listen a little bit closer for this part myself i can't see 
that she was in that frame of mind. Um, she was a bit down about the boyfriend. She wanted to move. She wanted to try and start a new life. She wanted to try and get herself better. She had plans. Um, That's interesting. She had plans. Yeah. She had benchmarks. Mm. Uh, so that would kind of tend to swerve against the possibility of suicide. What was going wrong in her life at the time? I think, well, obviously it stemmed from stemmed from her drinking issues. Um, she liked to drink. I didn't really class her as an alcoholic, but more sort of a binge drinker who could drink to excess. But then she would have days where she didn't, wouldn't touch a drink. Um, I think that was, it was that, but she liked, she liked drinking. When I spoke to her, I said, you need to stop. You, you know, you don't, you're somebody who needs to never drink. And she said, well, I like it. If she had drunk to excess, she could be quite a bit aggressive, quite aggressive. Um, but sort of the last few, I think that was more when she was younger. We'd seen quite, we've had some bad times with her, like with depression and things. The last few years, she'd sort of seemed to be, sort of have it a bit more balanced and she'd have her few cans of beer or whatever and and just be quite chatty. Um, she'd perhaps be in and out you know, smoke a cigarette and stuff like that. Um, Would she smoke a bit of weed? Yeah, she smoked it, yeah. Um, and that was it. I'd, I'd never seen any, her do anything else. I'd spoken to her. She'd, I'd obviously known in the past that she tried things, but she never, she was very open. I, I believe she would have told me. Um, I mean, I know she smoked weed and she told me that. And it was like, well, don't bring it here. You know, don't bring it to the house. And she told you she occasionally tried cocaine? She tried told me that she, um, and she did it wasn't sort of her sort of thing um, um, so I knew that and she'd sort of talk about other things that were going around or what they were and she, uh, um, and that she'd obviously some she told me she tried but there was nothing else that and from what I could see from her it was just the drinking beer and smoking smoking weed and I actually asked the boyfriend and I said look can you be truthful with me and um, like tell me because if there's anything I should know because I'm trying to understand this is this you know if you tell me oh yeah well she actually had a cocaine problem it might it could lead to something a different path you know and he just said no um, she, she Gina just liked to, to smoke smoke weed and a beer and she was quite happy that you know um, so was she ever on antidepressants? No, not that I know of, no. Did she ever take cancer? Did she ever have a suicide attempt before or a parasuicide? No. No, never. That morning, did she exhibit any signs of suicidal tendencies? No, nothing. Was she withdrawn? Nothing different than, you know, she was a little agitated because of the phone and, you know, everyone, it's their phone is their priority, isn't it? Because you need, you need your phone to do everything and she had all these things she wanted to do and the phone wasn't working so she was sort of agitated but that wasn't, um, it wasn't abnormal from her behaviour. She would get agitated if things weren't going right and Georgina was a bit, she would act a little bit like a child and it would be, oh, I can't, you know, that sort of... Um, and that's how she was. Um, she sort of banged the phone down and said, this isn't working, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I'm not going to be get anywhere, am I? And I just said, well, I've got this phone. And your dad, her dad had bought her one, but I think he'd been around the previous day and she, he didn't find her there. And, and he said he wasn't going to post it through the letterbox. So she never actually got the phone. 
and I said he's got you one and so she just said well I'm, I'm just going you know I'm going out have you discussed with her sisters and her dad the possibility that she may have committed suicide and we've discussed between us me and her sisters and they don't think they don't they just think it's it's not even an option but if she had where would she walk to if the police or national climate doesn't think it's a possibility then you know do they have any idea of how it would have happened where would she have gone from four o'clock? Would she have, she clearly wasn't going to be assisted with her, mm-hmm. you know, her friend who she was with. Was there any suggestion the police gave you as to how she would have done it? Would she have walked here? No. You know? They haven't discussed that with me at all. They've not discussed anything, but they've not talked about it. It doesn't seem to be really. Mm. It's a consideration, mm. which I think is important to engage with. Uh, but then wouldn't they have found her if she'd have gone and jumped off the pier with the tides and all this sort of thing? I mean, we've looked into that. We've looked at We've sort of researched it, like, and it would be like the, you know, because there was quite a few, last year there was a few sort of um, unidentified women that were on, got, got washed in at Beachy Head. And one, when you, it was a, an artist impression, and, and when you looked at it, you thought it could possibly be Adina. And then we got people messaging, and I emailed the police, and I said, you know, I said, could you just, um, like, uh, verify that this person who's been uh, uh, coming at Beachy Head isn't Regina? I said, because the, the artist impression, it could be the dark hair, the round face, sort of, and um, she just said, I can, I can tell you that it's not. But that person was never identified, because they had a burial and. and um, last year, I think it might have been this year, down at somewhere like Polgate, and this big community got together and got a few. She was never identified. What Andrea describes here is another heartbreaking aspect of the case. Every time a body washes up on a beach, which is not unusual for this part of the South Coast, Andrea is faced with the most distressing of questions. Is it my daughter this time? Communication between the police and Andrea in these circumstances was initially very difficult, and it's improved now to some extent. But there have been times when Andrea has had to rely upon news reports for updates, or she's had to phone the police and ask the questions herself. Is it my daughter? Is it Georgina? And on the topic of communication between Andrea and the police, it appears it's been strained since the very early days of the investigation, to put it mildly. Andrea often talks of the feeling that she's an irritant or spoken down to by the police. And as we've been talking about Georgina's mental health, I ask Andrea to talk me through the lines of communication she's had with police officers and what support she's been offered. Just to bring us back to the early days, when you started complaining to the police and challenging, holding them to account through the investigation, they suggested something to you. They suggested counselling for you. Ex- explain what happened. Yeah, I think I'd um, sent some quite sort of, you know, angry emails to them, um, sort of asking why and why not, and asking, you know, what hadn't been done and what had. And um, sort of when I had the next meeting... Um, one of the deputies said, um, I suggest you seek some, um, you know, professional counsel. It might help you. Now, he wasn't a professor. He wasn't a doctorate of psychology. He didn't have a PhD in forensics. He wasn't a qualified counsellor. He was a, an officer irritated that you were asking questions and holding him legitimately to account for failures which we now were utterly visible a year later. I was told that I was sort of upsetting them 
the police officers when they came in on a Monday and to come into all the emails and they had to sort of read through my emails and you know it, it was uh, it was sort of quite a lot for them. I did suggest that they um, offer their officers um, more training on communication with um, like people you know like sensitive training to families of missing people because they obviously didn't have it. Quite clearly you became an irritant. Yeah, I felt I felt I did use I had said to them several times I know that oh I, I started the email with oh it's me that annoying person again <laughs> just to be sarcastic because I, I realized that that's what they felt I was so I sort of started the email with it and then a couple you know when we had a meeting it was like oh no you're not really annoying and that but can you just try and keep the emails like to once every two weeks or that and I sort of said look I've got a missing daughter I can't wait for two weeks well if we haven't got anything we it's not really I said well you can just say well we haven't got anything just to sort of reassure me if the price of embarrassing the police is more resources and concentration of time and police energy on this case well then so be it you know, they've earned their embarrassment, they've earned a bit of kicking. But if the price of that is more time and resources on Georgina, then I think it's a price well worth paying. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what? I mean, your criticism will definitely mm. embarrass the police. Mm. Are you worried about that? Um, I mean, I didn't, go, I didn't go out intentionally to criticise, but I just feel it's my daughter and I want to do everything I can to make sure she gets what she should be done I'm not like what she deserves but what should be done in this case what I feel that some other cases get and you read about and I think well this isn't being done here um, even though they say it is no case is different and this has been treated as a, as a uh, this has been treat, treated the same as a murder case from the beginning that they've done they said they've done nothing different but doesn't seem like that to us. I, I suppose mean, they're supposed to allocate resources according to investigative imperative. In this case, they haven't. Or if they have, they've done so in a very limited and reductionist. And there's lots of flawed decision making, which has eliminated the prospect of certain investigative lines of inquiry. So it's not just a, a fuzzy feeling here. Oh, I feel the police have this. I feel the problem is, is that they have made chronically bad decisions, limiting and restricting investigations right to the road where they decided she was last seen. They decided she just evaporated into a car to thin air. And that held back the investigation for six mo- 16 months. And now with a new team, they appear to be retreading deliberately, reinvestigating yeah. and redoing the work. They appear to be doing that. Oh. Uh, I mean, is that your sense that they appear to be redoing That's the work? That's what I thought when, first, when they first had the new chief. And he sort of said, I've done this and I've done that. And my first reaction was, oh, you're trying to go through it to see what's not been done. And, and I mean, did you ask him, well, why wasn't that done before? Yeah. And what um, did he say? It, well, it's the strategy thing and it, it didn't. we didn't feel it needed to be done. But I'm just going to do this, like the CCTV. I'm just going to do this just as a, as a last, last thing to get the peripheral CCTV. I mean, just, you know, it just might be a chance that anything. He said, so I've asked for that. And I said, well, why wasn't that? Oh, it's the outside CCTV. So I thought it was like on the outskirts of, right on the outskirts of Worthing, not on in in town, sorry. Um not as near as that so I was quite shocked when they showed us and, and, and he said you know do you think this is Georgina and we all looked and said yes where's that from oh well this come off the peripherals CCTV 
that they've they've been looking at for the past few months. But peripheral CTV in the centre of the town. Mm, yeah. So I mean, the reality is they they keep saying, "Oh well, I'm doing. I'm just look. I'm widening the parameters. Like, be grateful." So no, the point of the matter is you you want to accept you, all your decisions, the primary investigative decisions, parameters in the investigation you got wrong and were wrong, right? And what they're doing is doing a shadow reinvestigation and cold case in the recognition that so much has gone wrong before. But unless they admit it, but they're so worried about upsetting people inside, I don't care whether they upset or embarrass, professionally embarrass their colleagues. I only care about them doing a job and reclaiming this investigation and finding Georgina. If you have any information regarding the Georgina Garsala case, no matter how insignificant you may think it is, please contact Sussex Police on 101 or in confidence via Crime Stoppers, who are offering a £10,000 reward. Murdered Missing Unsolved is presented by me, Donald McIntyre, and produced by Inherent Productions and Steve Langridge. Music is by Alex Sane, and additional audio production by John Franklin Audio. Coming up next, hope over expectation. I know it might be silly or stupid to some people because they might think, oh, the police has declared it murder. But for us, we've still got to live with hope. The missing hours. Obviously, she was somewhere else for six hours between um, Clifton Road and here. And our girl. I'm really really furious about worthing people at the moment I'm really shaking I was hoping more and more people are going to be here to support today's Georgina 32 years old and she should be with her family Sussex police were asked to participate and comment on the issues raised in this podcast but refused <laughs>